Morning, my name is Pastor John. I'm the family discipleship pastor here at Grace. And if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. Our ushers are going to pass those out to you. We'll open up, uh, continuing our series today from Philippians chapter 4 that we've been going through uh, the last few weeks and months. And we're coming to the end of it today. And so we're in the back part of Philippians chapter 4, the last uh, half of the, uh, of the chapter there. Last Sunday was an amazing day. Uh, if you were here at Grace, it was amazing. Pastor Tannen did a great job of preaching and sharing God's word. Yeah, thanks for cheering for him. He'll appreciate that. He's upstairs in Kid City right now wearing my Eagles jersey because he, he lost a little wager to me. And uh, so that's kind of exciting. Uh, but he did a great job sharing. Uh, but last week was also an amazing day uh, because, uh, because my wife and I celebrated 17 years of being married. Now, I know, thank you. I know you're wondering the same question. You all have this in your mind. How, how could a couple so young looking be married 17 years, right? It's amazing. Well, we were actually married when we were 12, and so we're not that old. That's the thing. Um, but that's actually not totally true, but we did meet when we were in third grade. Tara and I did. We were at a lunch table. I passed a little note over to her across the lunch table and, and said, uh, do you like me? Circle one, yes or no. And out, P.S., would you trade me your oatmeal cream pie for my fruit roll-up? I'd like that. And uh, thankfully, she said yes to both. Uh, which was great because oatmeal cream pies really are awesome, right? And, and she was a really nice girl, and so that was good too. Um, but uh, we actually started dating when we were in high school, and uh, a couple years later then, we got married. We were at her family's uh, home church, another Grace Church, back in Pennsylvania. And I remember a lot of things about that day, a lot of wonderful kind of fun memories, some very meaningful, serious memories. Um, but one in particular, a memory that kind of stands out to me. I was thinking about this week. We were standing across from each other on the stage with the, the, the pastor there talking. And I remember all of a sudden this overwhelming feeling kind of coming on to me. Um, and it was something like this. I don't know if I'm ready to take care of another person. I just had this overwhelming feeling like, God, like, am I really ready, you know, to be a husband and to say that, yes, I can provide not only for myself, but for someone else. Are you sure this is like a great idea? I kind of had this conversation, this overwhelming feeling with God. And I remember that feeling because I had it a few years later too. A couple years later, Tara was pregnant with our very first child, our daughter, Ellie. And uh, we were at the hospital and um, uh, getting ready to deliver her. Uh, Tara went into to labor uh, during the night, and so we didn't sleep at all. We were awake all night counting contractions and, and kind of figuring out if we should go in and when we should go in. And, and then we went in early in the morning. And, and it's because we had been awake all night, and then once we got there, we were tired. But once we got there, things slowed down. And those of you ladies that have been through that process probably maybe understand a little bit of that. And so, and so, you know, Tara's in a lot of pain, so she got an epidural, and then things just really slowed down, and she was actually able to rest, and she fell asleep. And, and so I had been awake all night, too, so I also fell asleep. And I remember that detail, because I woke up. When I woke up, I was sort of hugging something that, that I, when I woke up, I realized I had been using as a pillow the biohazardous waste material can that was in the bathroom. And so as I wiped off my face, what I, hope, what I hoped was just my own saliva, I sat up and my parents were there. And, uh, and very soon later then, here out comes Ellie. And there's more details of the story than that, but that's kind of what I'll share. Out comes Ellie. And uh, it was another moment where I just felt like, oh my goodness, like I don't know that I am ready 
for this? Like, God, like, are you sure that I should be a dad? And are you sure that I, I mean, I'm not even sure that I'm a very good husband. And now you want me to take care of a family too. And kind of had that overwhelming feeling just sort of come over, uh, come over me. I usually have a comment for most situations that I find myself in. I didn't have one at that particular time. I was just speechless, right? Maybe you can relate to those moments of crisis in your life when, when you just feel this overwhelming feeling of, of, I don't know that I can do this. Maybe it's the first day on a new job. Uh, maybe it's uh, getting a huge medical bill in the mail. Maybe it's when your transmission goes out on the way home from an already expensive trip. Maybe it's when you receive notice of layoffs that are coming in the near future. Or maybe it's as simple as you being a teenager and there's a big dance coming up and you're wondering, I don't know that I'm gonna be, my family's going to be able to afford for me to take a date or for me to get a dress. But when these moments of crisis kind of come into our lives, we get this overwhelming feeling and, and, and we don't know if we're going to be okay. It's easy to say that we believe something when life is going well. But it's in these moments of crisis when our core beliefs really come out. It's in these moments of crisis when what we really believe kind of comes to the surface because our faith and our beliefs are being tested in that moment. And one of the key questions of life is the same for every single person. One of the key questions of life is a question that every, that's on the mind of every person in this room today that's single, that's married. A key question to life is the one that I was asking myself on that stage the day of my wedding and in that hospital room the day that Ellie was born. It's the question that you and I ask ourselves when those moments of crisis come. It's a core question to life and it's one that you and I need an answer for when it comes up. That question that we ask ourselves every single day, that key question is this, how will my needs get met? Maybe you don't remember asking yourself that this morning, but you did. How are my needs going to be met? And because on throughout every single day, we go about answering it. At the heart of every concern that we have is that core question of how are my needs going to be met? And then we answer it throughout the day. We realize I have a need for hunger, so we get ourselves something to eat. Or we get ourselves something to drink and we realize that we're thirsty. Or somebody comes to us at work and they have something, a problem that we got to solve. They need something from us. And so all day long, we're simply going about meeting our needs, answering that question over and over again. How are my needs going to be met? But when those moments of crisis hit, that's when this core question really comes to the surface and we ask ourselves, how are my needs going to be met? Or we say it this way, am I going to be okay? And depending on your current life situation, perhaps you have found yourself asking that question a lot lately. Paul was asking that question here in Philippians chapter 4, and he was answering that question while he was sitting in a prison cell writing this letter to his friends at the Philippian church. Philippians 4, we're going to take a look at that last half of the chapter there today. Here in the New Testament, you can turn there if you haven't already. Pastor Tannen shared last week uh, on the secret of being content. And we're going to piggyback on those truths that, that come, that, uh, that say that our contentment comes 
only in a relationship with Christ and that he really is enough for us. We also today understand how those same truths answer our question, how will my needs be met? So we're going to start today with the answer, and then we're going to work our way backwards today. We'll do it a little differently. Stand up and let's read together Philippians chapter 4. And we're just going to read one verse today, verse 19, because it's the answer to this question, and it's the key verse for this passage that stands out as you read it. So Philippians 4, 19, we'll read together. Here we go. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. You can have a seat. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. If you came here today looking for an answer, we're going to make it really simple. This is it. Point number one for today. God will meet every single one of my needs. That's what that verse said, right? Every single one, every single need that you have, God says he will meet it. When Paul made that statement to this little church back in the first century, that was an incredible truth for them to understand and realize. The power is the same today, and its implications for our lives are huge. The fact that God will supply all of my needs, that God will be the one who's supplying it is important, that God will supply for every one of my needs is important. All the parts of that truth are critical and have implications for the way that I live. And I love the word picture that's here in verse 19, that God will meet all of my needs. That word meets there, God will meet, literally is the word, the same word for cram. God will cram full When you have a need, he will come in and he will cram it full to meet that need. He will meet that need. When I think of the word cram, I think of my boys' backpacks that they take to school. They are crammed full of stuff, right? These backpacks are just so full of stuff. They fit, they they have so many pockets and they have so much stuff in them. In fact, sometimes they're so full, um, they have other backpacks inside of them as well. And and this, that's actually my backpack. This is my son's backpack. And uh, they have a school ID, they have books, uh, they have his glasses for school, um, they have uh, notebooks, they have clothes for gym, he's swimming at the middle school, he's got a towel, he's got clothes for that, he's got his lunch in here, it must be day doesn't like what they're buying or what they're selling, uh, he's got gardening supplies in there in case he wants to plant flowers on the way home. Kids pack their backpacks with so much stuff, right? They are just crammed full. And that is the picture of how God meets our needs. He crams us full of what we need. Not just a little bit, but like Tannen said last week, he really does give us enough, and he is enough. God supplies every single one of your needs and of my needs, and we have to believe that, and you have to understand that when moments come of crisis in your life, that God is going to be there, and he will supply every single one of your needs. One of the core truths that we just try to burn into our kids here at our church in Kid City, we say it all the time, is that I can trust God no matter what. I can trust God no matter what. No matter what's going on in my life, God's going to come through and he is going to supply my needs. You can believe that. 
You can, you can believe that and count on that and count on him when you need him to come through. He will. He crams us full. He is a good God to take care of our needs and he loves us. And that truth must be down in your core. He will give you more than enough. So does God then expect anything from us? And the answer to that is yes. As we go through this passage today, you'll see some other things stick out as well. Paul and this group of believers got this truth down. They understood that God supplies all of their needs. And because of that, they were able to become some of the most generous and freely giving people on earth which sounds interesting. They were people who had great need, but they were also the most generous because they understood that God would supply all of their needs. God meets every one of our needs, not us and him, but him. And we're going to see today that generosity and trusting in God to supply go hand in hand. Here are some implications for how we are supplied and what we are to do with the supply that God gives us. Tana left off in verse 13, so we're going to pick it up in verse 14 this morning. Philippians 4.14 says, Yet it was good of you, this is Paul still writing to his friends there at Philippian church, the Philippians, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, When I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Paul writes to these people here, the Philippians, his friends, and he is commending this church for their care. They had done a really good job of taking care of their friend, Paul, of their brother in Christ, Paul. And you can look at the word in verse 14 and kind of underline it because it's critical, the word share. He says, it was good of you to share in my troubles. And, And that word is critical because that is a picture of what we do as believers. We share the concerns of each other. When one of us has a concern, we share that. We take that on to ourselves. The concerns of another person of another believer, of another family member. These believers had come alongside one of theirs to take care of him. And in every church, healthy church family, you see that kind of thing happening. You got to hear about it this morning through this update for our family that is in Asia. And I'm weeping the whole time sitting over there looking at those pictures because I've been there and I know those kids and I love them. And the family that, that, that we have on the other side of the world, the, the depth of the relationships is only because of Christ. And the church can do that because he is the head and he, we are all one body. And the relationships that we have, the way we care for each other is an incredible thing. I love to see that happen in our own body right here at Grace Community. And as pastors, we love to watch how each of you care for each other and you share the concerns of each other and you carry those concerns together. In every healthy church family, you see that kind of thing happening. And as pastors, we love to watch it because it happens best when it's organic, when it's not organized by church leaders, when it just sort of happens to the relationships that you are intentionally building with each other. 
but it doesn't happen for everyone. I've heard that from people in our church. I've heard that from others that have gone to other churches. They don't sense that church family coming around them. And, and it doesn't happen for everyone because Paul points it out too in Philippians. He points out that there are, uh, there are other churches who don't have that same sense of church family and, and helping each other and sharing concerns for everyone. Paul says there are many other churches who didn't help and weren't a part of this caring community that he was a part of. He says, you know, in the early days with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me except you only. So there are a lot of churches, there are a lot of people that weren't a part of this kind of caring community. What was the difference? Well, this group here in, in Philippi, the The Philippian church had made a decision to intentionally be engaged in a relationship with Paul and with each other. They had made decisions along the way to intentionally choose to be a part of the church family. They had made decisions to intentionally be included and be a part of the giving and the receiving that was a part of the church family. They were intentional And they did the hard work of building strong relationships and keeping strong relationships. If if you wonder sometimes why you don't have that type of church family around you, if you find yourself sometimes wondering, how come nobody notices me? It might be, not in every case, but it might be because you've not done the work of intentionally seeking out relationships for yourself. You've not done the work of being involved and being a part of the church family that is around you. One of the first things that we need to do when we first come to a church and we decide that a, that a home church is going to become that is to get involved. Perhaps like those other churches that Paul mentions, um, you, you might be someone who hasn't joined in the giving and the receiving that he talks about. And there are two sides to giving and receiving, right? Both, not just receiving, but also giving and being a part of the community of the church. And so one of the first things I often tell people when you, when you decide that grace is going to be your home church is to get involved because it's no fun to come here and be a visitor week after week after week, to just kind of come in and then leave and come in and then leave and come in and then leave. So what do you do? Serving on a ministry team, jumping into our men's ministries, jumping into our women's ministries, joining a small group. Those are the best on-ramps that we have here at Grace for helping you get connected and feel like you are a part of a family. Joining into those relationships and into the life of the body helps you to, to become a part of the family. If you're not actively engaged in these areas, you may very well feel like you're out of the loop in a church. So maybe you need like the Philippians here, to take the initiative. Now, that, now let me talk, though, to some who have been here at the church for a long time. Maybe this church or maybe another church. You've been involved in the church for a long time. Something happens to us as we continue to age, as we continue to, to go, be at a place for a long period of time. We begin to sense this feeling of entitlement, That what I sort of did in the past means I don't have to do anything now. Or because I sort of paid my dues in the past that now I don't need to be as actively involved. Or I was involved in this other church when I was younger, when the kids were younger, but now I just sort of want to come and be. 
And something happens as we get older where we really have to fight off this feeling of entitlement. After a while, maybe a church becomes stale to us or maybe church itself becomes stale to us. And so we stop doing the work of giving back. We say things like this. Well, I was involved for all those years. I don't have to be committed anymore. Or I was in a small group before and it ended. And so I don't want to try one again. Or I already did the women's ministry. I already was in fight club. And so I don't need to do it again. And all those statements may be very true. All those statements may be very true. But you need to remember that to keep, that you need to keep working at any relationship to keep it healthy, right? I, I, I mentioned being married to my wife for 17 years. We've done a lot of work, just like you guys in your relationships. You've done a lot of work to keep that relationship healthy. It wasn't that I just told her that I loved her 17 years ago and she gave me that oatmeal cream pie and I've been happy with it since. There's a lot of give and take. There's a lot of working back and forth. There's a lot of intentional effort that you must put into a relationship to make it healthy and work. And the same is true with your church family and your church relationships. If you stop interacting and you stop pursuing other people and you stop serving and you stop doing all those things that you used to do, then the health of that relationship is going to wane and it's going to become very unhealthy. We have to continue to work at those things to keep them where we want them to be. Past involvement doesn't equal current connections, right? Past involvement, past relationships don't equal current connections. Look at what Paul says. How many times was this church generous and helpful? Take a look back at verse 16. He says, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid. What's it say? More than, more than once when I was in need. More than once when I was in need. It was something they did over and over again. Paul, you okay? Paul, do you need anything? Paul, you okay? What, what can we do? They were interacting with him. They were corresponding with him. There was a relationship that was going back and forth between them. It was more than a one-time thing. It was a continual process that kept going. We just watched these incredible Olympic athletes last month. And you know, they keep up their training all the time. If they were to stop training two years ago or three years ago, they would not have been at their best. But to be at their best and to have their skills ready to compete on an Olympic stage, it is continual, the training that they do, the, 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 the nutrition that they take in, the process that they put their bodies through is regular and routine and it never stops or else they wouldn't be Olympic athletes. What is the training that you and I need to continue to do to keep our relationships, our church healthy family relationships to their peak performance? What action steps do you need to do and be doing to build the connections so that you can be part of the giving and receiving types of relationships that Paul describes here in Philippians chapter four? What are the action steps that you need to take today and right now? Don't focus on what someone else should be doing or on what the church should be doing, but focus on what are you doing or what are you not doing that maybe needs to change. We have a wrong picture sometimes of of a church being an organization or being an institution. And a church at its simplest core is what? It's the people. The church is the people. You guys are the people. We are the people. And as we care for each other, as the church does things, it's simply us doing things for each other and caring for each other as individuals. 
Here is point number two. Num- number one was that God will supply and meet every single one of our needs. Number two is this, that God will supply all our needs, but we may miss it because he wants to provide through our church family. The Philippians and Paul would have missed out on God providing, on God coming through if they hadn't have been in relationship with each other. Like these other churches that missed out on this blessing, that missed out on what God was doing because they were not connected with Paul the way that this Philippian church was. And sometimes we miss out on God supplying for us because we're not connected to a local church, to our local church family. Look at what Paul continues when he says in verse 17, not that I even desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you had sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, and pleasing to God. It's interesting that these generous gifts, they weren't even what Paul wanted the most. It was about the relationship that he had with them. It wasn't about their gifts. It wasn't that he wanted something from them. It's not that he, he was trying to manipulate them or get something from them. It was the relationship that was involved there. He said, I have more than enough. Paul was a gracious receiver. He was willing to ask for help. And that's interesting and important to note because sometimes we're not plugged into relationships with people and and we miss out on God supplying for our needs. Watch this, because we just simply think we can meet all of our needs ourselves and we don't need anybody else. And we're not gracious receivers like Paul was. Paul had what he needed, he said. But he loved that they continued to give because it was, for, it, it was good for them to continue to give. It was good for them. Sometimes we take away a person's ability to grow in Christ because we won't let them in a relationship with us. We won't trust them. We won't give them an opportunity to give because to, to, we won't ask for help. And we miss out on blessings and we miss out on spiritual growth and we miss out on maturing that comes along with us saying, hey, we need your help. And allowing somebody to step in and actually give help, which is good for them to do and bears fruit in their lives. Paul was willing to ask for help because he knew it was good for his fellow believers. God is the one that supplies all of our needs But sometimes we miss out because it often comes through relationships that we already have established in the church. He wanted to make sure that their generosity was credited to their account. He says, not that I desire more gifts in verse 17, but what I desire is that more be credited to your account. Somebody, God, was keeping track of how generous these people were. There is an account that was being made, that's being made to track how generous a person is. And that's interesting because basically in these verses here, he talks about their account and then he and then he compares it to other churches, right, that hadn't shared with them. And he even calls one of them out by name, right? He is, he's basically pulling out their financial giving record and he's comparing it with other individuals from other churches. That's what he's doing here, right, in these verses. You see that? 
He's saying that you guys did this and gave this, and I want to make sure it's credited to, to your account that God is keeping of, of how generous we are. And, and he compares them to these other churches that hadn't been generous and hadn't been a part of the relationship that they had established. And he even names names in verse 16 when he calls out Thessalonica, the people that are there. Do you see what he said there in verse 16? He says, for even when I was there in Thessalonica, and we know that Paul was there, uh, we can read a book that he writes to them, a letter to them called the Thessalonians. And uh, he says, even when I was there in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. In other words, I was there in their town and I was, I was hurting. I was in need. I didn't have the resources to continue. And they didn't step up and come through even though I was there with them. You guys did. Paul calls out those believers in Thessalonica who I'm sure got wind of, of this letter. How comfortable do you think you and I would be if our church giving records or our willingness to be generous with our family or other people became public information? How comfortable would we be if Paul was our apostle and was writing letters about how well or how poorly we gave as a church, how generous we were with others who had need? That's what Paul was doing. I know to you and I, it seems like a private matter, but to Paul, it wasn't. He was calling them out. Paul names names. He says, even... They wouldn't take care of me because you had to take care of me because they wouldn't. And when we think about generosity and we think about caring for others' needs, it doesn't often matter how much a person gives. It's simply a matter of how generous we are and how generous our hearts are as we give. Our team that just left Asia from Thailand and Cambodia, many of the kids gave them some incredible gifts. I know because one handed one to me while I was sitting down there below. Not because I, because I have a relationship, because I've been there several times and, and know these kids. And, and these gifts that they give don't have a, a ton of value or worth when it comes to money and expense that way. But they are incredibly expensive and incredibly generous when it comes from a former orphan. And the value isn't measured by the how much it costs, but by the generosity and the generous spirit behind the gift. And the same is true in our giving with other people and with the Lord. It's, it's not always the number that we're giving or how much it costs us or how much time it costs us, but simply uh, the generous spirit and the sacrifice that it took for us to give is what determines the value of the gift. See, God knows our hearts and God knows our incomes and he knows how much we give and God knows how generous we are. And here's why Paul gets into these details. This is why this is so critical, why he, he comes into this stuff and he talks about it with them. Because how generous we are or aren't, says more about ourselves than we realize. The kind of person that you and I are when it comes to helping other people or to giving other, to help other people or coming alongside them, it says something about you. It says something about me. And it says more than we want to realize about our heart and about our relationship 
with God. I would imagine that Paul was writing this and he was, he was saying, you know, some, some of the people in these other churches, they think that they're close to God. But listen, being generous says a lot about how close you are to God. If your eyes are focused only on you and your needs, if your eyes are only focused on your life and meeting yourself's needs, then listen, you're not as close to God as you, as you think you are. How generous we are or aren't says more about ourselves than we realize. That stung me this week when I thought about it. Because here's the third thing. God will supply all of our needs, but we may miss it because we've hoarded what he's provided before. That sounds, that word hoarded sounds a little crass, but that was what I thought communicated best this point from this text. In other words, if we haven't been generous to give back to him, if we haven't been generous when God's provided for us before to, to give back to him or to give to others in, gen, in a generous spirit, that affects how much he gives us now. How generous we are or aren't says more about ourselves than we realize. Turn to Proverbs to see where this is talked about over and over again. Proverbs chapter 11 is one example. Proverbs 11, verse 25. It says, A generous person will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will be what? Refreshed. Refreshed. God will come alongside and take care of the person that refreshes another person that is generous with another person. God's the one who comes alongside. Take a look at Proverbs chapter 19. Let's read it again in a different way. Same principle. Proverbs 19 and verse 17. Very clear and very direct. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to who? The Lord. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. When we give, when we are generous with others, when we care for others' needs, when we give to the Lord so that, so that his gospel can go forward and be sent out into the nations, God then comes alongside us and provides for us and rewards us and blesses us in ways that we can't do or imagine on ourselves. My mom called me the other day, called Tara and I, both of us. She couldn't get me, so she called Tara. She's already beginning to think about Christmas. And uh, I forget, how many grandkids now do we have on our side? I think 12 or 13. We just had another one, my brother. Not my brother. He had a, he had a, uh, he had a child. And so she's already beginning to think about it. And uh, so she had an idea for our youngest daughter, Emery, and she wanted to know what we thought of this idea for a Christmas gift. Now imagine if my parents would send us money. Imagine if they would send us money to give to our kids for Christmas because we weren't going to be able to make it into Pennsylvania this year. And imagine that they would send us money trusting that we would give it to our kids for Christmas as a gift or as a present to them. Now imagine how they would feel if they found out that we simply kept it for ourselves and did not pass it along to their grandchildren who they loved? What kind of feeling would they have towards us? 
What kind of, uh, what kind of, you know, what, what kind of words would come to their mind when they would think about their son and their daughter-in-law if that were the case? Do you think in the future they would come through us again to give something to their grandkids who they love? Or would they find another way to love and bless their grandkids that cut us out of the loop? The same is true in our relationship with God. God supplies us so that we can bless others and give to others. And then when God doesn't want to come through us again because we've hoarded in the past what he gave to us before to give, to pass on to someone else or to give back to him or to use to reach someone else, it shouldn't surprise us then when he doesn't come and use us again to reach other people. He cuts us out of the loop. Generosity has always been the mark of Christ's followers from the very first century, these people that Paul was writing to, to people today. I love to see how generous and compassionate those who follow Jesus are. It's an amazing thing in the resources that God entrusts to believers are to be used generously to help others and to build his kingdom. And once we realize that he is the one who is supplying all of our needs, then we are freed up to be more generous because we know that he will come through for us again and again because he is the one who is supplying. Remember that question that we asked earlier this morning, that very critical question that comes up every single day. How will my needs get met? If you think the answer is that you are going to meet all your needs, then you and I are tempted to keep all that we can for ourselves because we have to provide for us. But if we remember that God is the one who supplies all of our needs, then we become secure that we're going to be taken care of. Because this verse, verse 19 says, he supplies us from the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And we realize, you know what? That he's got plenty and we can be secure. And so we're more free to be generous more free to be involved in God's work because God is the one who will supply. That it's not up to us to come up with how we will be taken care of. So here are three questions to write down and consider to to ask the Holy Spirit to sort of search you as you read these verses here in Philippians. Three thoughts for you to, to really think through. Number one, do you believe that God will really supply all of your needs? You got you to gotta ask yourself that question. You got to have some quiet time with God this week where you ask yourself, do I really believe that? Is God the one that I'm counting on to supply for my needs? Or am I counting on myself? Or am I counting on, you know, my job experience that I'll take care of myself, that I'll take care of this? Or am I really trusting that God will be the one to supply my needs? Number two, Ask yourself, what action steps should you take to become part or maybe to stay part of the church family? What are the action steps that you feel like, you know what, I, I need to do this. I need to get more involved or I need to get back involved. I, I'm not really plugged into the church family and I'm missing out on the blessings of what God wants to do in my life. I'm missing out on the blessings of giving to others and, and receiving from others. And I'm not a part of this giving and receiving. What action steps should you take to become part or stay part of the church family? Number three, are you a generous giver? 
that God can use to funnel his ministry through. When God looks at you, he says, man, I'm going to supply them with plenty because I know that they're going to use it to reach other people. I know that they're going to use it to give to others. Are you a generous giver that God can use to funnel his ministry through? Let this be an encouragement. God will supply all your needs. He will cram you full. Paul would say to many of you, great job. You are like the Philippian church. You are doing a good job. You you have got this down. You are generous and you are generous with your family and you're generous with your church and you're generous with those who are in need around you and you're serving and you're plugged into those relationships. You're doing a good job. For others, Paul might say, hey, listen, God will supply all your needs. God will come through for you. You can trust him. You're, you're, you're a lot like these Thessalonians. You're choking off his supply line to you. And you can trust him that he will come through for you. Man, you're missing out on some blessings spiritually. But listen, there is time to change, he would say to you. God is so full of grace and mercy that he is, that if you are willing to repent and do things his way, he is so ready to come back and supply with you like you've never seen before. And I love what Paul says in verse 18 here about their generosity. At the end of 18, he says, your generous gifts, basically, he says, they are a fragrance offering, an acceptable sacrifice and pleasing to God. Paul brings in this Old Testament picture when the priests would walk into the Holy of Holies, when they would walk into the temple and they would offer to God a sacrifice with a scent that would go up into heaven that would be pleasing to Jehovah, an act of worship to him. When we give and when we receive generously, we are giving to Jesus an offering that is pleasing to him. And here is why. Don't miss this. Let me bring this all together today. When we give generously, and when we bless each other in the church family, and when we give from our resources to reach other people with the gospel, we are saying, here's what we're saying. We're saying, God, I trust you completely to supply all of my needs. And that is how every single day we answer that question. How will my needs be met? God, I trust you completely to meet all of my needs. And so today I'm going to trust you and I can be generous with others and I can give to others because I know that you are going to give me back, that you are going to fill me back up, that I don't have to provide for myself, that it's not up to me, that God, you're the one who's coming through. And when I recognize that, God, I am trusting you completely. That is an act of worship every day. And so every day that we give generously and every day that we serve others and every day that we're involved in relationships with others, we are worshiping God and we are saying to him, God, I trust you completely to supply and meet every single one of my needs. Today, we have an opportunity to to worship God as we wrap up today with with some songs and some singing and and as we have a chance to, to give our offerings. It's a chance for us, not only today, but every single week 
to be able to say, God, this is my act of worship. God, I give this because I know that you are the one who will supply every single one of my needs. Giving is a chance to worship God. It's a chance to say, God, I trust you. You have my back. Lord God, we come to you today. And God, we're so thankful for the way that you have supplied for us as individuals and as a family and as a church family. And God, we want to be like these Philippians who are a part of what you're doing here in our community, here in our church family and around the world. God, I pray that you would continue to come alongside and supply. God, I pray that you would continue to to meet every single need of every person in our church family. God, I know that many of them are in that moment of crisis right now and being tested. And Lord, I pray that they would find comfort in this truth, that you will meet every one of their needs. Today, Lord, we trust you and we say as an act of worship, as we give, we completely trust you to meet everyone, every one of our needs, Lord Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.